a remnant within a remnant here. Okay. Well, let's get started then. Um, and we're going to study about the heart, issues of the heart today. And I want to just kind of tell you, that's actually the first time I've ever made this presentation, which means it probably will be better the second time, but you guys can have a heart-to-heart -heart with me on it first here. And the reason that I wanted to study more about the heart was because um, I want a revival in my life. And so I was asking, Lord, how is it that, uh, that we can have a, a revival in heart? And then I was reading another little book about the importance of uh, preaching. And in this book, there were so many of these quotes that talked about the heart, which I'll show you some today, that it just totally convicted me. So I started to then study all of the different passages in the scripture. And you might do that, you know, like when you're studying, you have a Bible program, and you can see here that I, I searched out everything on heart, and then I put it into like a document, and well, I'll just show you some of these documents. These are all the preparations that, uh, you know, different things, different documents where I went through different quotes and different things, and then it all, I kind of then categorized them into, um, into different texts, you know, like what is the heart, and then I put it into another document that even looked more closely at, um, at different aspects of the heart. Then I studied, started studying through all of the, uh, the quotes on Ellen White on the heart, which will take me a couple years. And so I didn't get that done. But, uh, but they're so rich that, um, you know, it was powerful. So then came to a document about ways to prepare the heart. So, you know, when you're, when you're preparing for like a sermon or a talk, you can literally spend weeks or months, right? And, uh, and you have to discipline yourself not to do that sometimes. So like, for instance, tomorrow I'm going to give a, a talk on how to study the Bible, but I'm just going to narrow it down. I don't like to give talks that are like all over the Bible because I find that Bible students can't follow those. I don't find that that's profitable with people because they don't really know what you're doing. When you go from Genesis to Revelation to Exodus, they have to take your word that all those contexts make sense. And I don't like them to do that. So I would rather study just verse by verse with them through something. And that way they start to get confident. If, they, if I go to the Bible study and I have blown so many Bible studies that I know what to tell you what not to do. If you go to a Bible study, they can like the Bible study because of your cleverness and because they like you. But when, they, when you leave, they don't know what to do. They have absolutely no clue. But if you study with them how to just go verse by verse, then they have a clue. Or if you show them, okay, we just looked up all the texts in the Bible about something, and that's called a topical study, and you show them how you did that, then it helps them. But if not, guess what? <coughs> they can never reproduce that study, and then when they say something to their friend or their pastor or their, or their, their relative, they just look at them and go, you don't know what you're talking about. And it's an embarrassing moment for them. So I don't like to put people in that situation if I can help it. So anyway, that was just a little preamble before this. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we're thankful today we can study issues of the heart. We ask that your spirit would be with us. And Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. We're told in scripture that your heart, that your heart and your soul is in the sanctuary. That's where it dwells. Your mind, you're in that heavenly sanctuary and you, you want to communicate with us. So we ask that we could, from what we learned today, that you could. And we thank you we come in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so I want to look now at, at the actual uh, presentation that came out of all that little preliminary work I showed you, um, which um, I'm just calling issues of the heart. Um, issues of the heart. Um, and the reason I, I wanted to do this was because, you know, when I got the invitation to come to RME, they sent me a little email, and this is one of the things they said. Prayer and heart preparation when opening the scriptures and the word is what they wanted us to talk about. We may specifically request a particular speaker to address this topic. However, every speaker may want to include some aspect. And heart preparation, they said, is important. It maximizes the ability of the Holy Spirit to uh, work and bring understanding. I think this is so key. I mean, that sounds like a simple sentence. And then as I began studying it, I realized how key it was. So I want to tell you, show you why. Okay, here are some of these quotes that I came across to, uh, in, in uh, Spirit of Prophecy, and we'll look at some scripture too. Uh, third volume of the Testimonies, 237-238. By the way, I'm going to post all these on my website at amazingfacts.org. Go under the AFCO tab, Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism, and you'll find director's notes, and that's me, the director, and you can find notes from many different presentations across the country. I'll put these under ARMY. And then I will ask them to link to that on their ARMY page. I'll also put the notes from this morning's study of the chiastic structure of, of Psalm 85. You guys can make that your own sermon freely. I have received, freely I give. Um, so you then can give to others. So I'll put that up on the website. Ministers should first feel the sanctifying influence of the truth upon their own hearts and in their own lives, and then their pulpit efforts will be enforced by their example out of the desk. Ministers need to be softened and sanctified themselves before God can in a special manner work with their efforts. I read that quote and I go, whoa. I mean, you, basically what it's saying is what? You need to be ministered to before you can minister to others. You need to be connected before you can help others get connected. Yes or no? So it doesn't matter how artful your Bible study is. If you're not connected, and you can have fairly clever and artful Bible studies, but if you're not connected, you're not going to connect. <laughs> and uh, these will become more, more convicting. This text really convicted me out of many of the texts. This one convicted me the most that I read. Second Chronicles 25, 1 and 2. Uh, notice what it says. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 days, or I mean 29 years rather, a day equals a year, 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehodadan of Jerusalem. And then notice this text. And he did what was right in the sight of God, but not with a loyal heart. So in other words, you can be doing everything right, but your heart can be wrong. Does that make sense? And in other words, not with a perfect or blameless heart, the Amplified Version says, or not with the whole heart. So you can put on a show and then... <laughs> 
Uh, It looks like you're doing the right things. And I said, oh God, am I like Amaziah? And I had to confess, unfortunately, many times I have been. And I don't want to be like Amaziah, do what's right, but not with a perfect heart. Can you join me in that prayer? So what we need is revival. We have to have revival to have our hearts uh, back where they, they need to be. And of course, the heart is the seat of the will and the emotions in the Bible. It's, and uh, God gave us the will, right? And he gave us the ability to have the emotions and the will. And, um, and yet we sometimes steal it for our own things. And what he's saying is uh, his heart was not right. Well, what does it mean? Look at the parallel passage. And by the way, whenever you're finding something in Chronicles, you always can look in Kings and you can see the parallel passage, right? And sometimes you find nuances. Notice this nuance in 2 Kings, that passage. 2 Kings 14.4. 2 Kings 14.4 up on the screen. However, this is talking still about Amaziah. What was, the, what was not right about his heart? However, the high places were not taken away. And the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So, in other words, he was doing everything right except for uh, he neglected the high places. And what were the high places? They, it was a term, by the way, when you, when you have like high places, you, you, you do like a study on high places all through the Bible and you can figure it out. But basically, you can also go to a Bible dictionary and sometimes save you a little time if you're in a rush. This is what the Bible dictionary said. Term used to describe hilltop shrines where people of Israel offered idolatrous sacrifices to Baal. And usually those were very immoral. They were the Canaanite religions where, for instance, in the Canaanite religion, they had sanctuaries. You would go to the sanctuary, you would meet someone who was not your wife or your husband. You would go through the entire temple ritual with them, and then you would do things that only a husband and wife should do together. And then you would go home. Needless to say, there was a high attendance at these temples for all the wrong reasons, right? And so he was allowing that to go on um, in defiance of the scriptural rules. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for as yet, notice the influence, because he didn't take them away, as yet the people had not directed their hearts to, God, to the God of their followers. In other words, so they were going to church, they were doing all the right things, but they were involved in, basically today we'd say, lustful pornography which was in virtual reality back then because you couldn't get it over the internet. It was the real thing. Does that make sense? So he was doing what was right, but his heart was not right. So they had not, what does it say? They had not directed their hearts or had not set their hearts. Many times in the Bible, set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Set your heart, purpose in your heart. They hadn't decided to do Totally God's will. Many, now listen to this. You can give a clear Bible study. You can give a clear sermon. It can be logical. It can be eloquent. You can use all the chiastic struggles you want. You can show all the different things. You can be erudite. You can know Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Pig Latin, whatever you want to know. Look at this, this quote. Men may present in a clear manner. What kind of a manner? In other words, it's very well put together. The claims of truth on others, and yet their hearts be carnal. Sin may be loved and practiced in secret. Their hearts may not be not may, their hearts have not been sanctified. The love of the Savior might exercise no constraining power over their base passions. 
Men may stand in the sacred positions and yet they handle the truth of God deceitfully. They cannot lift up holy hands to God without wrath and doubting. In other words, they know. They know if God was to come today, they'd be under his wrath and they are doubting so they don't have power. This is because God has no control over their minds. What? They're presenting a clear, logical message. They've gone to Army Bible Camp. They have learned everything. They know everything about how to do word studies. They've got it clear. I mean, and it's tight. But their heart's not right. The truth has never been stamped on their hearts. Their conversion has only been superficial. I don't want that. That's a pretty convicting quote, right? That's, by the way, taken from Timothy. I desire that every man, everywhere men pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. So in other words, our prayer life should lead to what? Holiness, so that we can have power. Which is really the heart thing. You know, First Timothy, I'll go through this tomorrow. When we study Bible principles from Timothy, you know, the end of the commandment is love from a pure heart. Love unfeigned, it's going to say in First Timothy chapter 1. So, the labors of, our, of many, our, many of our ministers lack power. They pass from day to day, possessing only a cold, nominal faith, presenting the theory of the truth, but without, notice this, the vital force which comes from a connection with heaven, and which, if you don't have the connection, notice what's next, which sends the spoken words home to the heart of men. Do you want your study to get to the heart of men? It can't just be eloquent. It can't just be logical. It can't just be clear. You have to be connected with heaven if it's going to connect to other people's hearts. I read that I was just like, you know, there's no substitute for intellectualization here. It's got to be, not that God is not intellectual, right? That's pretty practical, hard preparation. Brother Beast's preaching has not been marked with the sanction of God's Spirit. Now listen to this. He can talk fluently and make a point plain. <laughs> we got seminars this, this weekend dealing with this. How to talk fluently and make a point plain, right? He can do that. But his preaching has lacked the spirit or spirituality. His appeals have not touched the heart with a new tenderness. There has been an array of words. This guy's like verbal advantage. He's telling you all the different words. He, everything he says, you go, oh man, I wish I knew those words. It's like some spiritual or unspiritual Rush Limbaugh, right? An array of words, but the hearts of the hearers have not been quickened and melted with a sense of the Spirit, Savior's love. Sinners have not been convicted and drawn to Christ. How many, I don't know about you, when I first read these quotes, I was just like, they really convicted me that the issue that I need, you guys might share it with me, is to have my heart right with God. <laughs> okay, so I'm back there. They're all asleep behind the cameras, I think. That's okay. Men whom God has chosen to be his ministers should prepare themselves. If they are not, now listen to this. This, this just really hit me. If they are not successful in winning souls to Christ, it is because their own souls are not right with God. Wow, I thought, now that is a fairly powerful quote. How many think that's a pretty powerful quote? That, that kind of is, 
that almost seems like extreme, doesn't it? But that's what's being said. Now, you know, that doesn't mean souls won't get one sometimes when you're preaching and teaching, but it might be because the other members in the church, not you. Somebody else. But I don't know about you, but how many of you want to win souls for the Lord? You want to have some stars in your crown? And, you know, this other guy, uh, an individual the other day, wrote me an email that said, the only metric at the end of the day is how many souls are won in the kingdom from your ministry. And I said, no, that's not the metric. The metric is, is your heart right with God? That's the real metric, right? What's it say in Romans 14? That which is not of faith is sin. So in other words, your evangelism could be sin. Does that too harsh? Your Sabbath keeping, if it's not done for the right motive, could be sin. Your vegetarianism could be sin. I don't know. In other words, our heart has to be right. Amaziah did what was right, but not with a perfect heart. 2 Timothy 4, 5. Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. In other words, if an evangelist truly is winning souls, his heart is right, that, that's, that's, you can see that. It's demonstrated. Now here's these texts. Of course, you've heard them before. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not what? So this is why it doesn't work. If we got iniquity in our hearts, what does God do? Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. By the way, this is all from that topical study. You could do the same study of the, four, of the 860 some verses. The son of man, these, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble in iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of by them? Sure, you can, you can be inquired, but what happens? I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart. In other words, if you pray with idols in your heart, God's going to answer you according to the idol, not your request. He knows exactly what's in your heart. <laughs> wow. I'm kind of thankful for that. God loves us enough to not let us get by with the other. Is that right? So I'll answer you according to the idol in your heart. You remember the story of Balaam, right? Balaam keeps praying. What does he say finally? God says, I want to go. I want to do this. And he says, go, go, <laughs> go. I'll give you the answer that you want. If that's the answer you want, you pray three times and your idol is that, go. He sends a donkey that starts doing you know, gymnastics and knocks him against the thing and talks to him. And he is so far gone, his heart is so gone, that he starts beating the donkey and says, you do what I tell you to say. Not realizing the donkey's talking to him. And it almost sounds funny, but that's how desperately wicked his heart was. Right? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that was kind of convicting. Am I, have I been standing in the way of this the whole time? Not all ministers are devoted to the work. Not all have put their what into it? Hearts into it. They move as listlessly as though a temporal millennium were allowed them in which to work for souls. And they're basically saying, I got a thousand years. They shun burdens and responsibility, care and privations. Um, and then notice uh, what it says next here. Self-denial, suffering, weariness are not pleasant nor convenient. It's the study of some to save themselves from wearing labor 
They studied their own convenience and how to please themselves, their wives and their children, and the work upon them which they have entered, which they have entered is nearly lost sight of. Wow. That's a powerful thing too, right? So, Ellen White then had this to say about the ministers. I tremble when I consider that there are some ministers, even Seventh-day Adventists, who are not sanctified by the truths which they preach. I'll come back to the end of that when we go forward. How many can see why I decided to spend some time talking about issues of the heart? <laughs> if not for you, just for me. So, let me ask you a question, a quiz question here then now. You can answer me. What makes a good preacher? His relationship with God. Dealing with people. Getting along with people. I would agree that we want to have ministers that do that. The same thing that makes a good salesman, okay? I'm not sure what you mean by that exactly, except maybe he's a fast talker. Okay, he believes in the product. Anything else? I found this an amazing quote that just rocked me. And it was kind of an indictment of the way we many times think. More important, maybe I should back up so this is on the tape. No minister should be measured by his ability as a what? As a speaker. Wow. Nobody should be measured by that. That just shocks us when we see that. Why not? For it is the pleasant part of the work and is comparatively easy. How many of you have thought when you're listening to somebody, well, that's easy? Maybe not, not too many. But it is comparatively easier than what? Having your heart right with God. Having your heart right with God. Wow. This is why when we ask the question, who's a good minister, we can't say. We, we, we only can say we don't know. We don't know the heart. Only God knows the heart, right? <laughs> That's all we can say. We can't make the judgment on the basis of what? The ability as a speaker. That's a powerful quote. I don't know about you, but it just has kept me awake a couple nights. So what then is the measure? <clears throat> God, the Lord does not see, man, see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Looks at the heart. Listen to this. Here you go again. He has preached excellent discourses. What kind of discourses? Excellent Bible studies, excellent discourses, tight, logical, sequential. You can put them in little books if you want, big books. Put them in MP3s, put them on audioverse, reverse, converse. Right? But out of the desk, he's not carried out the principles he's preached. This kind of work is an offense to God. So, you know, of course, ministers and people doing Bible work, we have a stricter judgment, as the Bible says. We're all here to learn how to do it, but there's a stricter judgment. Right? Here's why, this is what Paul said. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Paul was a very great teacher, yet he felt that without the Spirit of God working with him, all the education he might obtain would be of little account. 
We need to have this same experience. We need to be afraid of ourselves. How many of you are afraid of yourself? I join you in that. Not being afraid of you. I'm afraid of myself. Does that make sense? Paul would go and he says, I am in fear and much trembling. Wow. I started fearful and trembling when I read these quotes. So what is the treatment? I think we've had a diagnosis, right? What's the diagnosis? We many times do a superficial work. We think that good sermons and Bible studies are good work. But a real work is something only you know between you and God. Can you hold up hands without wrath or doubting? You, you, you know that. And God knows that. I don't know that. But I thank my friends. If there was one thing that could happen at Army, if there was one thing that could arm me and that could arm you, is if our heart was right with God. If there was just one thing. Now, I don't care if you get out of here not knowing how to do a Bible study. If your heart's right with God, you are more powerful than you ever were before. I don't care if you can't even speak. I don't care if you were paralyzed leaving here. If your heart's right with God, you're more powerful. You're more useful. I'm more useful. I had some people in the AFCO class. They can't speak. They can't do this or that. But their hearts were with God. They were more powerful than anybody else. I mean, I've seen people like that. I had this one guy in my church. He couldn't complete his sermon, a sentence. I thought, this guy, and he says, I want to preach. I said, you can't preach. You can't even, you can't even, you can't even, you can't even. That's how he talked. Finish this sentence. He says, I'm going to preach. He went to preach in his convalescent home. He was a, 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 not a quadriplegic, but almost. And he had his little thing. And he went there, and he couldn't finish his sentences. And he started preaching. And everybody, he had the slides, share him slides. And he hits the button, and everybody was finishing the sentences for him. Sixteen people got baptized. He can't even talk. He can't even finish the sentences. But his heart won the people. God won the people through his heart. Just one thing, one thing we could have leaving here, it's this. I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to myself. You get to see me talk to myself. So, the preaching of the gospel is God's chosen agency for salvation. So there's no question about that. It's what it is. But our first work should be to bring our hearts into harmony with God. And then we're prepared to labor for others. What? That's it? You mean our hearts are in harmony with God and that's it? Then we're prepared to labor. We don't have to go to this and that and the other? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> this is the only seminar you needed. This is it. Wow. So here's the promises for those seeking this experience. You want some promises now? Look at this. Look at these wonderful promises. I, these are the best promises in the Bible. <laughs> but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. Can you say hallelujah? He can be found. He can, he can be found. First Chronicles 28, 9. The Lord searches all the hearts. That was Deuteronomy 4, 29. First Chronicles 28, 9. The Lord searches all the hearts, understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found by thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. I don't want to forsake him, amen? 
But if I seek him, what does it say? I'll be found. How many, is that the most wonderful promise? You don't have to have a special telescope. You don't have to have a special army boots or backpack. You can find it. Jeremiah 29, 13. Ye shall seek me and find me when you search with new all your heart. What a powerful promise. So that's step one. Step two in, ask, in seeking him. Now these are just all from a topical study of, of all those heart passages. You could do the same thing. You probably find better things than I have. I only worked on this for like 20 hours. So you guys, you, just, you, you could find a lot more. Look at this. Ask him to examine your heart. That's step two. You can find him. That's the promise. But ask him, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way. Try me and know my examine. See if there's any wicked way in me. Psalm 139, 23. And then pour our hearts out before him. O God, cleanse me, David said in, in, in Psalm 19. Cleanse me from secret faults, right? He, he, he knew the, the, the blatant ones, and he said, cleanse me from secret ones. Psalm 62, 8. Pour hearts out before him. Turn with our whole hearts to him with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, Joel 2, 12 and 13. So if you just say, well, I'm not going to have any television. I'm going to have a television fast. I'm not going to have any internet. I'm not going to have this or that or the other. I just want to pour my whole heart out of him. Um, this, is the, this is the prescription given. Well, what will happen when we do this? How many want to see what's going to happen? Here are the promises. These are pretty simple promises, but I tell you what. They're exactly what I need. And you might need them too. Here they are. What happens when we pour our hearts out to him and say, search me and see if I'm, if there's any wicked way in me, what's going to happen? What happened to Isaiah? Then I said, woe is me, for I'm undone. I am I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he said, when we do that, what's going to happen? We're going to see the holiness of God because we're seeking for him. And when he reveals himself to us through Scripture or through the spirit of prophecy or through whatever it is, we're going to say, woe is me, I am undone. And we're going to find out that sin is written in our hearts with a pen of diamond, uh, with a pen of iron, with a pointed diamond. Jeremiah seventeen one. We're going to find out our hearts are desperately wicked. Right. But then notice what happens. What are the promises as we recognize our woeful state? Look at these promises. These are wonderful promises. The Lord is near to those who have a broken spirit. And save such as have a contrite heart. So when we find out how terrible we really are, that's when God's nearest to us. It's not going to feel that way. It doesn't feel that way. You say, how in the world could he ever love me? But he came to love. He loves you while you were yet enemies, while you were sinners, while I was. That's the good news. Now look at this one. For thus saith the high aloft. Can you see how to do Bible study based on topics? You just take it all, and then besides it, there's some beautiful things that come out. Thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, the same one Isaiah saw, right? With him who has a, even though he's up there in the high place, I dwell with what? Him who has a contrite, humble spirit. And then what's he promised to do? To revive the spirit of the humble. You want revival. And say, show me my sin. And to revive the heart of the what? Contrite ones. 
you want to know what, you, what words would you study in these passages if you were doing a word study? You'd want to know exactly what, what, what means. You want to know what contrite means, right? You want to know what does that mean? You want to know what revive means. But you, well, that's what I want to know. So you just go look them up, and this is what they mean. Contrite. That's from the word daka, which means to be crushed, to be destroyed. Say, I am destroyed. I am undone. And he's close to you when you are destroyed. How many people from Amazing Facts get saved in jail? Jail is the biggest blessing to so many people. They go to jail, and finally they have focused attention, and thousands of people across this land accept the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what they tell me when they get out of jail? I wish I could go back. I had time to get in touch with the Lord. You know, having four kids... In an AFCO class, sometimes I say, Lord, just take me to jail so I could just spend some more focused time. Amen? You guys shouldn't be laughing. But how many of you have ever had a struggle to say, Lord, I want, I want to just spend focused time with that? You've got to still do it. You still have to have that time. Look at this one. Revive. He'll revive us. What's that mean? Kaya. To live, to revive, to keep alive, to recover, to repair, to restore, to be whole. How many of you want that? So what he says is if we go through this process, that's what he'll do. It's like he's going to rewrite the hard drive. How many think this needs to happen at Army? If this could happen at Army, and this is the only thing that happened, you think this would be the most important thing? That's it. Okay, step three. Now, I'm not saying I had all the steps here, okay? Uh, these are not like sanctified steps. In fact, they may not even be in the right order or somewhat, but I, they made sense to me based on the topical study. Look at this one, step three. Then what do we say? We say, oh, look, I'm powder, I'm dust, I'm nothing, so you can make something out of me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and hold me with thy free spirit. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? That's what he's saying. Now let me ask you a question. Was David lost in this psalm? I don't know why he says he was lost. Because his soul was separated. But when, see, this psalm goes with Psalm 33. Psalm 33, 1 and 2 says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through all my groaning all the day long. For your hand was heavy, heavy upon me. And in Psalm 33, he wouldn't confess for like a year. Then in this psalm, he finally comes and he goes, I blot out my transgressions, this and that. Right? He, he gets clear. And then he cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O God. That's what he says. Um, do you need to say that today? I'm not asking you to acknowledge to me. Just between you and the Lord, because I don't know your heart, but God does. <clears throat> How does he respond to such a request? Look at this. <laughs> I will give them a heart to know me, to even know him. I am the Lord. They are my people, Jeremiah 24, 7, and I will be their God, and they shall return to me, for they shall return with their whole heart. Look, he says, I want it. He's like got the transplant team there. He's like got, he's just ready to go. Look at this is the largest quotation from the Old Testament to New Jeremiah thirty one thirty three. This this section this this new covenant is the largest single 
complete quote from the Old Testament to the New. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, hallelujah, and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. How many of you want that to happen? That is the biggest desire of the Old Testament. That is the biggest desire of the New Testament. That's the biggest needed army. Anybody you see, even if you're looking in the mirror, that is the biggest need here. And it's the biggest quotation from the Old or the New Testament. It's always been the biggest need. Always been the biggest need. Do you see how convicting Bible study is? I'm just looking at a list of Bible texts. And it's convicted my heart. Is it convicting your heart? Man. Then I will give them one heart. In other words, there's going to be unity. And one way. You want your family to come together? Give your heart to God. You want your church to come together? Give your heart to God. They may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from doing them good. Aren't these wonderful promises? I will put my fear in their hearts. You go, oh, fear God, give him glory. How do you do that? He puts it there. And by the way, fear is that desire to obey, and it's the fruit of faith. He puts it in the heart. So they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will assuredly plant them in this land. Remember in Psalm 85 where we were studying in the, in the session before that the land would prosper? Someone came up after and says, what does that mean? This is what it means. I'll plant them in the land all my heart and all my soul. All the way, you know, they were planted in Canaan when this was written, but we're planted where in the heavenly Canaan. Oh, what a promise. I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit with them. I will take the stony heart of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Notice how thoroughly cleansed David was in God's sight. Notice how thoroughly cleansed he was. Look at this powerful passage. I read this passage. I've read it before, but it just struck me with the love of God. Look at it. This is 1 Kings 14.8. This is after Bathsheba. And tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. Yet you have not been as my servant David. Notice how God looks at David. Who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. Look at how he's looking at David. Even though David had done what was wrong. Look what he's doing. That's how he looks at you. That's how he looks at me if we give our hearts to him. So what would stand in the way of us giving our hearts to him? There shouldn't be anything. How many of you want him to look like that at you? As a powerful warrior. Dave was a powerful warrior. What a powerful thing. Is heart preparation needed? What did David desire to do when his heart was right with God? What did he desire to do? Notice what he says in Psalm 51. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Not my salvation. <laughs> you gave it to me, thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then he says, I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. What happens when our hearts are right? Even if we've done what David did. Or there's a, even a more powerful story I don't have time to go through. It's Manasseh. Forty years. Forty years of apostasy. God worked through him. 
Of course, he did a lot of evil things, too, and the fruits of what happened. David said, my sin is ever before me. That doesn't mean we should go out wantonly at all. That's not what it's saying. But isn't this wonderful? No matter who you are, God can use you. Even though his heart had not been right, did David have a ministry for Christ? might not have been as powerful as it could have been in some ways, but it was powerful. Who wrote the Psalms? Look at this. Then he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Jesus now talking to those, road, those two on the road to Emmaus and then to the twelve afterwards, the eleven. And remember how their heart was downtrodden and, and their heart was slow of heart, but then it was, then they said, Our heart burned within us. Why did their heart burn? These are the roads which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the what? Psalms. The Psalms, remember I told you, there were five sections of the Psalms that went with the Pentateuch. And look at David. Did David have a ministry? Does David still have a ministry? I don't care what you've done. If you give your heart to the Lord, if I give my heart to the Lord, he's got a ministry for us. And it is a powerful ministry. And this is why Colossians says, Let the word dwell in you richly, with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another. In what? David again. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That I might joy in your salvation. Look at the amazing things that we, God can do to us as we close up, as we surrender our hearts to him daily. Look at how, this is, this, is, this is beyond the pale. They have prepared a net for my steps. In other words, this guy is surrounded by the wicked. But my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. How many of you want to have that kind of a situation? Even when you're surrounded with a wicked, you know, my heart is steadfast. This is an army principle, right? I'm in the midst. They took me captive. I'm just praising God. I'm just like Paul and Silas. And my heart is so connected that even in the midst of it, I'm converting the jailer in the midst of, a, in, in the midst of that. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Look, our heart can change that much. How many think this is the biggest need? This is the biggest need for me. On the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts. You say, well, how can I keep my heart? You can't keep your heart. You can't keep it right. That's what Steph to Christ says. Take my heart, my weak, unchristlike heart. Keep it, for it is thy property. I can't keep it. Where would you get that? From Philippians he will keep your hearts and minds. Can you say hallelujah? You give it, he keeps it. He keeps it for you. These are wonderful promises. Now this is the last quote. I'll leave it with you. Wonderful quote from Desire of Ages 668. You've probably heard it before, but isn't it what we need? Look at it. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. In other words, Christ had to give his heart. And if we consent, what will he do? He'll so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall but be carrying out our own impulses. How many of you want that? The will, which by the way is another word, the heart, the heart is always called the will in the Bible, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight doing his service when we know God as it is our privilege to know him. Notice this promise. Our life will be a life of continual obedience. How many of you want that? Through appreciation of the character of Christ, 
through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. Heart preparation. How many of you want to have heart preparation? How many of you feel like you just want to kneel down and say, Lord, take my heart? I mean, I, I know there's just a few of us, but it doesn't matter. If there was just one of us, if just one of us gave our hearts to him, the devil would say, that's been a failure. I didn't get into the army camp. Does anybody here want to just come forward and join me? Give your heart to the Lord again? Let's just pray together. Pour out our hearts. And I don't have to be the only one praying. I'll just start, and then maybe someone else wants to say something, and I'll close. Father in heaven, Lord, this text have just convicted me as I've read them. And Lord, I need, I need a new experience with you. I need a deeper experience. You say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And there's a lot of doors, not just the front door. We want to open every door in our hearts. And there might be others here that want to just confess with their mouths, that they want a heart experience with you.